You're listening to BiblioAsia Plus, a podcast produced by the National Library of Singapore. At BiblioAsia, we tell stories about Singapore's past, some unfamiliar, others forgotten, all fascinating. Hi everyone, my name is Jimmy Yap and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of BiblioAsia, a publication of the National Library of Singapore. In this episode of BiblioAsia Plus, we're going to talk about tennis in Singapore. We're also going to learn about the Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal of pre-war Malaya, Ku Hui Hai and Lim Bong Su. How great were these guys? Well, to give you an idea, Hui Hai actually played at Wimbledon, while Bong Su had a line of tennis rackets named after him. The two men were good friends but extremely fierce rivals. One match in 1929 left them so drained they both ended up collapsing. They had to do a rematch a few days later. Few people today would have heard of these two titans of Malayan tennis. But one person who does know all about them is Abhishek Meherotra, a researcher, former sports journalist and avid tennis fan. When he's not practicing his backhand, he does research on media and society in colonial Singapore, urban toponymy, and post-independence India. So, welcome to Biblia Asia Plus, Abhishek. Thank you, Jimmy. Pleasure to be here. Uh, so, tell us, tell us about that, that grueling match in April 1929. Uh, is it very common that you know, two players end up collapsing in a match? No, it was not common, I would say. Um, and I think that is sort of uh, an indication of uh, how, like you said, how, how grueling those matches were between these two guys. Uh, and also, we have to remember it is April. April in Singapore can be, uh, you know, brutal. A bit for, hot. Yeah, yeah, a bit hot, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, for, for outdoor sports. Uh, so, so, yeah, so, so what happened was that they... Uh, this was the final of the uh, the Singapore Chinese Recreation Club uh, Championship, Tennis Championship. Uh, uh, these guys met uh, in the third week of April 1st and uh, both basically after a couple of sets uh, collapsed uh, from cramp. So, ah. well, well, clearly they were not very well hydrated, I suppose. I suppose so. Um, and then at, uh, in those times you had to have a rematch uh, and, uh, you know, well, uh, what do you do anyway? Because if both people have collapsed, then... Right. You, uh, uh, Actually, if one person collapses, do they then... So interestingly, I mean, it, it, that's uh, not to do with this match, but in general, uh, uh, now you would, you know, that person would retire and the opponent would win. But uh-huh. at that time, uh, you would usually have rematches only, even if one player oh, collapses okay. as well. Very gentlemanly. Uh, very gentlemanly, exactly. Uh Yes, because you know there wasn't that much at stake in terms right. of money, money. and all that. So, uh, so yeah, so people were much more accommodating, I suppose. Uh, so, so yeah, so coming back to this match, so this was a replay, and uh, it uh, it it started off quite disappointingly, one could say, because uh, Hui Hai, who was the senior uh, of the two, uh, just basically ran away with this first set, uh, right. he won six love and. I suppose uh, you know there would have been a lot of disappointed spectators because uh, these these matches uh, were really looked forward to. Uh, but luckily, I suppose uh, from a from an audience perspective, uh, Bong Su came back and he won the second set after saving a match point. 
and uh, then and and we have to remember at that time uh, your your uh, listeners who follow tennis uh, would know that there weren't tie breaks at the time so there were no tie breaks oh, okay. uh, to so, decide sets so the second set went to 8-6 uh, to limbongsu and then subsequently uh, uh, in the third set bongsu was the younger one so he was uh, a little fitter uh and he basically uh ended up winning the third set and hence the the championship and if i'm not mistaken this was one of the first times that he had managed to beat his uh, senior rival so it was quite a big deal was was this like a changing of the guard you could potentially say that yes uh all because i mean in in hindsight uh, also what happened uh, subsequently was uh, hui hai uh left for uh, shanghai uh, a couple of years later so never really uh, played uh, at the scrc championships again he did compete compete in a few uh, uh singapore opens if i'm not mistaken but uh, but yeah i i, I would uh, consider this a, a very obvious changing of the guard all right all right but well, what what can you tell us about hui hai and bong su you know can you give us a little bit of an idea of where they came from and whether they had like a signature style or something yeah so i mean the 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 sort of challenge with exploring singapore's early sports history is that it's not very well documented uh so what we have uh, are basically scraps of information uh which 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 you know i've i've gathered by going through old newspapers uh and so we know uh, very little about hui hai if i'm being honest uh, we know that he was born in penang uh, he was a, a bit of a prodigy a tennis prodigy so uh, by his uh, early teens he was already been spoken spoken about as one of the most talented ethnically chinese players uh, to uh, to have emerged out of the straight settlements and uh, by 1916 17 when the when when world war 1 is uh, is uh, still ongoing he was actually playing with some of the biggest players of that time and raising money for the for the veterans who were returning from the from the front and he sort of becomes he lives up to his uh, potential uh, his youthful potential and uh, by by the early 20s 1920 21 he's already you know he has established himself as you know how how old is he at this time he is uh, so he was born in 1900 right uh, or 1901 and uh, so so he would be uh, he would be uh, late teens or literally so he was so good and in his late teens he was really seen as like a yes yeah um which which uh, which as we'll see is uh, quite a contrast with uh, lim mong su So anyway so so uh, uh Hui Hai after becoming established as the best player uh, in Penang uh, and across the straits he realizes that Singapore has uh, a more of a, a bigger tennis community and uh, better facilities so he becomes a Singapore resident uh, in 1923 and then he starts to sort of represent singapore uh in in the in the various uh, regional competitions that were happening at the time um so he was in singapore uh, for the next 7 years or so 7 8 years and then he moved to shanghai because he got an offer from the chinese government to represent them at the what used to be called the far east 
Asian Games, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Uh, and uh, he he did that for about four or five years, and unfortunately, he he died very early. He died uh, in 1936 when he would have been yeah 35 or 36. Wow. Oh, he uh, is very young. Yeah. So so he had some uh, he had some kidney issues. What about Bong Su? I mean, uh, you know, you you were saying that he had a Hui Hai was very different from Bong Su in that Hui Hai was a teen prodigy. What about Bong Su? So Bong Su actually uh, took up tennis very late, even by the standards of that era. Uh, so there are records of him actually going to watch uh, a, a match uh, featuring Hui Hai, and apparently he got inspired by that. Uh, and this would have been in uh, 1921. Uh, by which time, again, uh, Bong Su was just like a couple of years younger to Hui Hai, so he would have been 18, 19. So it is quite late to uh, pick up a sport at that age. Uh, but he did. And uh, by the mid-20s, when he, by this time he is uh, he's a civil servant in the colonial treasury, he, uh, he starts to become more and more prominent on the tennis scene. So 26, 27 is when we first read about him in various newspaper reports. And then as the decade progresses, then, you know, he starts to, as he starts uh, making it to the later stages of various tournaments, uh, he comes into, obviously, uh, you know, uh, he starts to have a lot more matches uh, against Hui Hai. And uh, the thing that really stood out with Bong Su was that he was, well, he was very short. He was only five feet, uh, which is very short for a tennis player. Uh, even again, even even for that uh, era, but I mean, you, give me an idea. I mean, uh, I mean, five five feet is obviously not very tall, but I mean, are, are modern tennis players much taller? Yes, uh, modern tennis players absolutely. Uh, right now, I think the average, if if you average the height of the top uh, ten male tennis players, it would be six two oh, or six wow. three. Yeah. Well, so, so I mean, obviously, uh, the the additional height gives you you know a wider reach i guess in, in wider it, 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 not just wider reach it it uh, it gives you more power on your serve the, the serve is the is the is how you start a point in tennis so it is uh, in a way one of the most important shots in the game uh so 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 he did uh, sort of uh, have those uh, restrictions but uh, again, uh, if we go back to the reports of matches at that time, they keep coming back to the, his incredible stamina, his reserves of energy, uh, and you know his just uh, unrelenting accuracy. He just would not miss. Wow. Okay. That that sounds uh, pretty amazing. I wish I could play tennis like that. Actually, I wish I could play tennis. <laughs> We know that Bong Su was known for his stamina. What about uh, what about Hui Hai? What was he known for? I mean, beyond being a child prodigy, did he have a particular stroke? Was his like did he have an amazing backhand? Or unfortunately, that's something that I've not been able to unearth. Uh, like I said, uh, information on Hui Hai is very sparse, uh, which which uh, is a pity. I think he was uh, he was one of the uh, pre-war heroes, uh, sports heroes uh, in Singapore pre pre Second World War, of course. Um, but no, so so honestly, I I couldn't say. Um. We we take you know professional sports for granted these these days, right? And these athletes, you know, uh, earn pots and pots of money. Um, but this wasn't quite so common uh, back in the day. And in fact, when when was it Hui Hai? No, when when Bong Su it was right who decided that you know he he was he wanted to make some money from from tennis. 
and became a coach, uh, he couldn't play. He couldn't play on in a circuit anymore. What what was all that about? Well, it, 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 it's it's very simple. At that time, sports was considered to be a gentlemanly pursuit. Money had no role to play in it. And, uh, you know, players were just expected to sort of have their day jobs and or their side jobs, uh, which is what would bring, uh, you know, uh, food to the table. And uh, sport was just for entertainment and building character. So Bong Su sort of followed what had become a bit of a trend uh, by then. So Bong Su announced that he was turning professional in uh, 1936. Uh, by turning professional, like you said, it meant that he was going to make money from the sport and he was going to do that by uh, coaching. He he coached at the Tangan Club, club and uh, also by appearing in various uh, exhibition matches uh, across the region. And immediately that invited a ban from the Singapore Tennis Association, uh, which basically meant that... Uh, titles that he had won over and over again in the past uh, few years uh, he could not he could no longer uh, defend them but like i said it was a trend and some of the top players in the world had uh, actually uh, gone pro as they called it and uh, they had they had all been banned from competitive tennis so they just basically toured around wherever they were invited wherever they were wanted uh, by various uh, various uh, companies, various governments, uh, right? So, in fact, um, one of them is like Fred Perry, right? Who gave up tennis and started making T-shirts. <laughs> yes, uh, Fred Perry. Yes, so he he also obviously by I think uh, in fact uh, the year Bong Su uh, turned professional is the year uh, Fred Perry won Wimbledon in nineteen thirty six. And then, then he, yes, he he, he did turn professional. Uh, yes, and uh, also at the same time launched a, a line of clothing, which till date continues to be very successful. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a Fred Perry shirt? I do not. They are too expensive for me. <laughs> okay. All right. Tell us a little bit about the history of, of tennis in Singapore. When did it all start? I mean, how how when did tennis first come to Singapore? So tennis first came to Singapore uh, in the 1870s. Uh, it's it's quite a remarkable story, really, because uh, tennis itself, uh, its roots, its origins go back to, uh, I think, the 16th century in France. Uh, but by the 19th century, it was, uh, it was not really uh, very popular. And uh, it was a it, it was a very complex sport at the time. They had a they had a weird court. It was uh, it, 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 they had some various projections uh, onto the court which you had to avoid, and the rules were very complicated. Uh, and basically, it was looked upon as a sport for royalty, uh, and not really a sport for the masses. But then, uh, in the late nineteenth century, around in the late eighteen sixties is when you have this uh, former army officer uh, uh, in the, it would have been the East India Company at the time? No, uh, it, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the British Army, uh, who basically came up with uh, a simplified set of rules. And, uh, and he actually started boxing up the equipment. So you, he came up with a box set which was uh, two tennis uh, net poles, the net, 
two rackets uh, and a few balls and and chalk for you to uh, chalk out your own uh, uh, your own uh, court along and he and he would uh, he would ship it with uh, with rules and uh, dimensions of the court as well so you could literally just buy it off all right uh, so he was quite an entrepreneur as well so he did he very did entrepreneurial oh, yes okay okay and uh, so this is happening in the UK in the eight, in late 1860s and remarkably by uh, the mid 1870s it's already uh, the scc is already hosting its first uh, tennis championship well, uh, scc meaning the singapore cricket club yes the singapore cricket club right right, uh, right which is where it it first uh, sort of took root uh, in singapore and from there it just keeps going uh, from uh, strength to strength so you have the scc and then a bunch of other clubs uh, scrc the straits chinese recreation center right a club also among them so was it so it was brought in by the, the colonial officials and and presumed yes. the uh, but did it spread uh, among the the Asian community? Uh, if, yes, it it did amongst a very specific section of the Asian community, which is the Straits Chinese. So the Straits Chinese, as uh, of course, uh, I'm sure you know, were the were the more the the, the wealthy merchants who sort of. Uh, uh, acted as mediators between the the colonial uh, government and the the Chinese laborers who were uh, coming into Singapore at that time, and uh, they uh, basically really took to it very quickly and very passionately. One could say. Uh, so, like I said, the 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 Straits Chinese Recreation Club was specifically set up in 1884 with a view to playing uh, two colonial sports, which were uh, Tennis and cricket, right? Uh, so, uh, so by the by the by the eighteen nineties, the SCRC Tennis Championship is already a fixture of the tennis season, and uh, you have uh, you have some very uh, prominent personalities uh, from the time who were uh, who were competing in this uh, tournament. Uh, including someone like Song Ong Siang. All oh, right, right. And SCRC is the Singapore. The at, but at that time it was called the Straits Chinese Recreation Club. Right, right. Which was was it at the Padang as well? Or? No, it was. Uh, interestingly, it was located at Hong Lim Green. Ah, okay, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so you have all these clubs in Singapore, the Straits Chinese Recreation Club, the Singapore Cricket Club. So. You know, was this how tennis matches were, or the tennis championships were organized in in Singapore and in Malaya? Yes. So I I I think the the club tournament was sort of the basis of the entire tennis season calendar. And what would happen would would be that the the Straits Chinese Recreation Club, the Singapore Cricket Club, the Singapore Recreation Club, which uh, of course was uh, Eurasians only, uh, they would all have their intra-club championships then there would be inter-club championships amongst these uh, various clubs and then you would have uh, by the by the 1920s uh, 1921 in fact you have the first Singapore Open uh, which is uh, basically clubs sending their best players uh, to uh, compete in it and it was open to all uh, Singapore residents only at the time and on top of that, then in the same year, uh, you have uh, what came to be known as the Malaya Cup, which was... Uh, oh, the same year as the Singapore Cup? Yes. So oh, right. in, in 19, 1921 is when uh, you have the first uh, Singapore Open, Singapore Cup. It, it went by a variety of names. 
And in the same year is when you have the first uh, Malaya Cup, which is basically the top players from the three straight settlements. So Penang, Malacca, Singapore, as well as uh, three of the four unfederated states. Uh, federated states. Fed- federated states, sorry. I think it was Negri Sambalan uh, and a couple more, which I, Selangor and uh, Parak. Right, right. So when Lo Kien Yu, you know, won the Badminton World Federation Championships in in 2021, you know, badminton academies and retailers saw an enormous surge of interest in Singapore. You know, did the same thing sort of happen with uh, Ku and Lim? Did their success actually help make tennis more popular in, in, in this region? With Ku, I would uh, I would assume yes, because again, there is, uh, there is uh, not that much information about him. But with uh, Lim Bong Su, for, for definitely... Uh, in fact, as you mentioned in the introduction uh, to the podcast, uh, the the English racket manufacturing company Sykes came out with a line of rackets named called the Limbong Su Special. Uh, you know, there was a demand for it, and also uh, I think he certainly had a some sort of a hold on popular culture because uh, uh, Mr. S. R. Nathan, in his autobiography, actually mentions having been a ball boy for. Limbong Su. Right, uh, it's so important that SR Nathan had to mention it's also biography. Exactly. Something uh, to be proud of. And 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 the way it is mentioned, uh, it's mentioned very casually as if he expected that everyone would know Limbong Su because right. he was such a uh, such a popular uh, person from that time. And uh, you also have a lot of uh, philanthropists uh, who are actually using these uh, tennis players to uh, drum up publicity. So, so so in a way, I suppose, like a, a modern-day sponsorship. So the one of the scions of the Tiger Balm company actually organized a tour on which he took uh, Lim Mong Su and they went across Shanghai, Hong Kong, other parts of China, just playing in various exhibition matches. So yes, I mean, they, they certainly were... Uh, the celebrities of their time. It, it really sounds like, you know, tennis, uh, uh, before the Second World War, it was was a pretty big thing in, in, in Malaya. Yes. In, in fact, you have uh, reports uh, in the mid-90s where, uh, you know, uh, there, are, there are these uh, visitors who've come to Singapore and they're just amazed by uh, the, the sheer amount of uh, tennis being played on the island. And in fact, one of them said that it does look like tennis is the national sport of Singapore. All right. When was this? This, is around this was uh, this was mid nineteen twenties, so mid twenty four, twenty five. So that's very interesting because you know nowadays you know everybody's playing football and of course you know Singapore is doing so well in the World Cup, right? Yep. <laughs> and and naturally we are very interested. But yeah, so you know tennis to, seems to have fallen off the radar. Why do you think that is? I mean that's a good question. I'm not sure, but I mean I think tennis. Uh, like I said, even in the even in uh, at its peak uh, in the early twentieth century, it was uh, it was a sport of the rich, and uh, you know you you see all these elite clubs uh, that are hosting these competitions, and then of course uh, the the straight Chinese themselves sort of in a way that particular culture is no longer as dominant as it was in Singapore at one point in time. Then you have, after the Second World War, people are just... I think they were looking to move away from 
from what could be considered elitism and right. elite sports at the time right. but these Makes are sense. these are just my conjectures sure I'm, sure i i i need to do uh, do a more uh, in-depth uh, study to actually figure out what happened tell me what you're working on you you've got a very interesting background i mean you used to be a, a journalist and you're interested in urban toponymy um you know w- Tell, tell tell me a little bit about you know urban toponymy and why you're interested in urban toponymy. Well, I mean, I tell us what urban toponymy is. I like saying it, but I'm not really <laughs> sure I know what it means. Well, I mean, to be honest, uh, I, it it sounds nice, so I uh, I mentioned it. But no, but uh, but on a more serious note, it's it's uh, it's a study of place names, and uh, I am just fascinated by uh, you know various. Uh, road names and building names that uh, in in uh, that exist in Singapore and a lot of them are just you know have become part of our vocabulary but no one really knows you know why they've been named the way they were right right yeah yeah i i i i'm constantly fascinated so we we have all these names that 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 reflect our history really but we don't connect the names to the history Yes. And so they just it's just a road and we don't even think about whose name has been assigned to this road. Right? Exactly, exactly. So so that's what fascinates me to figure out who were these people, what were these things that they did uh that uh, you know deserved uh, a road being named after them. Someday it will be you, Abhishek. Well, fingers crossed, Jimmy. <laughs> um uh, you you're working on a book, I understand. I am. Yes. What uh, is it about? It's uh, so it's a biography. It's a biography of uh, this gentleman called Mr. T. N. Seshan, who uh, is uh, one of India's most legendary bureaucrats, and he is supposed. Why was he legendary? Yeah, so he has uh, he is credited with having cleaned up uh, Indian elections. Indian elections used to be pretty uh, bloody affairs. Uh, literally think, bloody literally bloody yes and a lot of uh, a, a lot of fixing and uh, you know basically a lot of uh, shady stuff uh, would happen until he came along and uh, uh, he he sort of uh, by sh- I, I suppose by sheer strength of personality uh, and taking uh, every uh, making every use of the whatever constitutional powers powers he had uh, he cleaned up uh the system such that i wouldn't say it's perfect today uh, far from it in fact but uh, it is way better than it used to be before he came along so i'm working on his story right and and that's due to come out in 2023 or 2024 everything going okay uh it's supposed to come your out your publisher asked me to ask you this question <laughs> i'm sure well then i have to give the 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 contractually agreed upon answer which is january 2024 all right <laughs> okay all right hopefully it'll come out before that i'm sure it will i'm sure it will be it sounds like a fascinating book abhishek thank you for for um uh answering those questions for us um you know, we've come to this part the part of the podcast where we ask you uh questions and then we want to hear your spontaneous answers so first question who is the coolest person in singapore history Lim Chin Siong. Okay, why why Lim Chin Siong? Why do you think he's so cool? Well, I mean, I I just think that all the politics aside as well, just purely because of the fact that he got such a huge number of people to follow him uh in the 50s and 60s and I think people we we don't know enough about him and right. I I feel that's a pity. He was he was a fascinating character. Well, which historical figure would you like to have dinner with? Jawaharlal Nehru. 
Okay. Uh, I mean, it's an obvious question, but why why Nehru? Well, I've I've read a lot of his work, and I have read, uh, in fact, I've read a lot of his correspondence, and I think he was um, the 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 quality of his thoughts was just so at such a higher level and it's just uh, it would be fascinating to just have a you know a dinner conversation with him uh, and just quiz him on various things what what do you think is the most underrated or period in in history or under examined period in history well for me uh, it is uh, the late 19th century in singapore uh, okay uh, why I, because i think uh, the Singapore we know today uh, is just such worlds apart from uh, the Singapore that existed at that time. And again, I think it is not really uh, talked about or written about enough because you have waves upon waves of these new migrants pouring in from China and India, and there's uh, you know there's uh, there's opium, and there's alcohol, and there's politics, and there is uh, there are there are these business rivalries. And there are gangs. So just purely from a from a it's uh, an exciting period. It was a very exciting period, and purely from a historian's perspective, there's just so much to uh, sort of uh, dig through and find out. Right, right. I'm. I, I want you to answer without thinking again. I I will just say a word to you. I say to you, Agra. Not just the Taj Mahal. Okay, and why? Why? What? What? What else is there? Uh, what else is there in Agra to do? Well, Agra it actually has, um, I think, more monuments than uh, you could Ooh. count on. Uh, oh, really? Uh, on both hands, yeah. Uh, and I think the Taj Mahal, amazing as it is, has sort of overshadowed literally every single one of them. So I wish uh, that more people knew about the amazing, uh, you know, uh, Mughal uh, era architecture that exists in Agra and uh, I wish the authorities there did a better job of publicizing it. Right, right, right. Yeah, Do, do most people like fly into Agra, see the Taj Mahal and then fly out? Well, bizarrely, Jimmy, Agra barely has an airport. Uh, it's It has an airport that has, I think now, very recently, it has five flights a week. Okay. Uh, which, uh, which is... Like uh, one, one every day of yeah, working. I mean, less than me. one a day on average. Uh, and... It is not an international airport, right? So it's only uh, connected to, I think, uh, Mumbai and Bangalore, uh, and maybe one or two other cities. Right, right. So people usually fly into Delhi, take the morning train to Agra. It's uh, two and a half hours away by train. See the Taj Mahal. Some of them see the Agra Fort, which is again one of the oldest uh, forts in the in the city, built by uh, uh, built by Akbar. And take the evening train back, okay. so they barely get to, uh, you know, spend any time uh, beyond the, beyond the, you know, these two monuments. Right, right, right. And and you grew up in Agra. I did. Yes, uh, I uh, finished my schooling in Agra, and then I came to NUS to uh, civil engineering. Right. This is quite. Very different from uh, from. Uh, this is what we were taught in NUS in civil engineering, <laughs> the history of tennis in Singapore. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I will have to will have to relook this the uh, uh, the syllabus in NUS. <laughs> um, okay, um, what what are you reading now? What's on your nightstand? Well, now I'm reading. Uh, I'm I'm on a biography reading uh, spree just to pick up tips for uh, my own book. So right now I'm reading a biography of Cleopatra. 
uh, complete the sentence. History is everywhere. And BiblioAsia is fascinating. I'd like to think so. Thank you very much for joining me on the show, Abhishek. Uh, if you want to know more about tennis in Singapore, you have to read Abhishek's piece on Ku Hui Hai and Lim Bong Su. Uh, his piece can be found on the BiblioAsia website, which is at biblioasia.nlb.gov.sg. Thanks, Jimmy. It was lovely to be here. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the podcast and the BiblioAsia newsletter. Thank you for joining me on Bibliotheca Plus.